Hello and welcome to the Northwood Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Jones. I pastor a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. We are called Northwood Christian Church, hence the name, the Northwood Podcast. Very original, I know. But if you'd like to find out more about us, please reach out to us. Maybe email me at heath at indyncc.org. That's my name, H-E-A-T-H at I-N-D-Y-N-C-C dot O-R-G. Or you can simply go to our website, which is www.ndncc.org. And there you can find um, more information about our service times and, and about our values and, and other ways that you can connect. Uh, and speaking of our church, you may hear some background noise. Today our building is, is hopping. We've a school that's filled with kids who are bouncing off the walls because this is their last day before summer break, and my heart is with them. I'm so glad for them. Good for them. So that's where, where part of the background noise uh, you may be hearing is coming from. But also, there is a wood chipper running nonstop outside of our building uh, just off the street. Apparently, a crew from the city is taking care of some trees or something, and today is the time I have to record this. So... We're stuck with it. I, I don't know. Either way, that's what you may be hearing in the background. Actually, I'd say you definitely are hearing in the background. And if that's distracting, I apologize. But today, my hands are tied. Sorry for the noise. Hopefully, it'll be, it'll be okay. Now, before I move on, I'd like to thank Wish TV and the All Indiana Podcast Network. They produce podcasts made in Indiana by Hoosiers and often about topics of interest to Indiana folk. So we are, the Northwood Podcast is honored to be a part of that. So please check out the dozens of podcasts produced by the All Indiana Podcast Network made by, made by Hoosiers. And if you're not from the state, I'm sure there's topics of interest for for you there as well. You can find them at www.wishtv.com backslash podcasts or by typing in www.allindianapodcastnetwork.com. One last thing uh, about this podcast. I have no idea who's listening or how many people. I, I frankly don't know if I'm talking to four people or two dozen people. I have no clue. And so I'd like to think there are dozens and dozens, but... More realistically, I'm talking to less than that. I realize that. So, so here's my encouraging word to you, to spread the word, to share the Northwood podcast with any friends or acquaintances that you think might be helped by this, only if you think it would help. So trust your intuition on this. Um, or you can also help by liking or subscribing or following this podcast on whatever app that you use to listen. So if, if you like, stop what you're doing. If you can, and click on one of those buttons, like, follow, subscribe, share, and that's one easy way to, to spread, spread the word. Now, you may know how this next part goes. We're going to pause here for some ads for our podcast audience. For everyone else, we'll take a moment of silence for, I don't know, a, a moment of silence. Uh, here goes. And we're back. Uh, welcome back to our podcast audience. And today we're going to be going over a passage from the Hebrew Bible found way back in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. That's Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. And without further delay, here goes. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, 
and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. There's something I'm going to admit right now that has been hard for me to admit even to myself, and it is this. I am a professional Christian and a career religious expert. Why do I say this? Well, where do I start? For starters, I've been paid by churches to be the resident theologian, preacher, and teacher about all things Christian for, for about 15 years now. At least it seems that that is what is expected of me, to know all about the things, to know all about it. And the it here being the deep mysteries of the faith and how these inform our lives. In other words, what does Christianity say about us, our world, our purpose, and, and our meaning? And, and many are asking, how might your faith, pastor, to me, asking me, how might your faith inform my life and make my life better? And they could mean just a, a whole lot better. Maybe they're going through some life crisis where they, there's a lot that needs to be rectified. Or maybe just a little better. Either way, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure for me at the ripe age of 37 to tell others about the deep mysteries that flow from those big questions. Why am I here? What am I to do in life? Why do I suffer? Why is there suffering at all? What happens to me when I die? And the answer to all of those questions, well, come back. <laughs> come back next week to find out. Just kidding, but wouldn't it be just like a religious authority such as myself to punt on these difficult questions? I understand the impulse, but at the same time, I can understand why it's expected of me to know these things. After all, I went to four years of undergrad where I studied Christian ministries. That was almost a seminary experience in and of itself. And then I went to seminary, a religious school, to teach me to be, to be a pastor. And I got my Masters of Divinity there. And, ooh, that, that does sound important, doesn't it? And that all amounts to seven years of, con seven concentrated years of theological education, pastoral education, and religious education. And since then, I've, come, I've continued, in fact, to participate in educational opportunities, signing on for the occasional workshop or conference. And as I've said, I've been a pastor for about 15 years. So if anyone ought to know it... It may, well, it may as well be me. So I'm trying to paint a picture here of someone, me, who, who theoretically is called, equipped, capable, trained to be, and looked to be what I said at the beginning. 
a professional Christian and a career religious expert. So you'd think I'd be qualified to meet with any request or concern a congregant or a stranger might present. I, I would like to dispel you of that illusion today. My pastors, my pastor's credentials may qualify, for, qualify me for quite a lot, but they will only get me so far because I don't have all of the answers or all of the ideas or all of the talents, the skills, the competencies needed in the church. I am but a small part. But if you're looking at me to be the one-stop shop for all of it first, that's unhealthy for you and, and ultimately probably for me. But also, truth is, and I'll say it again, I don't have all of the answers. And the good news is, seems like I'm not the only one. Even Moses, who we just read about in today's story, did not often have all of the answers. Sometimes it seems as though he didn't have any correct answers at all. I'm wondering if you can relate. I know that I can. I, I should provide some more context for today's story. Moses has been wandering with the people in the wilderness now for the umpteenth year. I'm not sure where we are on the timeline here. And, and the, the people present with him uh, offer him up an, another obstacle, another problem for him to solve. And this time they are tired of the food that they have been given to eat. Moses feels overwhelmed by their complaint and requests, feeling himself inadequate to the task. He's being asked to provide the answer and he, he doesn't know what to do. So he's overwhelmed as part of him wants to die even if he can't get out of this mess. So go ahead and read what came first. He, he says, if you can't if you can't help me, God kill me. I, I don't I cannot go forward. So God told Moses to commission seventy elders from the people who will then temporarily be given God's spirit so that they may assist Moses in the work. So he'll have some help now, and this will become a game changer for Moses and for the people. Because if you'll recall, or perhaps you didn't know, they've been wandering in the wilderness for years now, and sometimes their situation grew precarious. Sometimes they were hungry like we find them today. Sometimes they were thirsty. Sometimes they were both. Sometimes it was too hot. Sometimes the waters were too high to cross. Sometimes enemies assailed them. But up until this point, God has met the needs of the people. God has done this by working through his servant Moses. And that's been the pattern up until now. One, the people will complain to Moses. And then two, Moses will bring these complaints to God. And then third, God intervenes, often answering the needs of the people. And all of this has been, up until this moment, mitigated by Moses or through Moses with the occasional help of his brother Aaron and now I suppose with, with Joshua, his, his new right-hand man. So they'll go to Moses because they've come to realize that Moses is full of God's spirit and God's spirit is what met with Moses at the burning bush, singling him out for this very purpose. God's spirit then animated Moses as he was inspired to speak just the right words to Pharaoh as he attempted to negotiate the Israelites' release from slavery. God's spirit was always working through Moses in this way in, in recent years. Moses was, was a conduit, a special person filled with God's directions, purpose, and, and occasionally some of God's power. All of this 
is what it means for us to see Moses as God's prophet. This word prophet, or one who is thought to prophesy, I should clear up some confusion before we move forward. Because most of the time when this word is used in the Bible, we are not meant to think what you think you may maybe are supposed to think. That is of someone whose primary job is to predict or to tell the future. That word prophesy has come to mean little else in recent centuries. I realize that a prophet is some, thought of as someone who sees the future. But this would be for us to misunderstand this role of prophet in the Bible and what they, that, what they do. Um, so what is a prophet in the biblical world? Well, sometimes they, they would make proclamations about the future. This is, this is true. But more often than not, the prophet would speak on behalf of God about the issues facing the community in the present moment. A prophet in the, in the biblical world was someone who was filled with God's spirit and then could relay information to the people that God wants them to know. And the Israelites had seen Moses fill this role on the regular, around the clock, for many years at this point, it's become almost their par for the course for Moses to be the guy. And the people had gotten used to this sort of thing, it would seem. And so now the people found themselves in another pickle, but they had been in many other situations before. Once they were stranded at the banks of a great watery expanse with the Egyptian army bearing down upon them, no problem. God's prophet Moses will lift up his arms up over the waters and they will part. When the people are thirsty, no problem. The, the prophet will, under God's guidance, strike a rock with his walking stick, freeing up fresh water for them to drink. Now, realize that in, in the minds of the people, this is all God's doing, but the prophet is the intermediary. You need Moses, they thought. Now, the people have presented Moses with a new but a, an old problem, really. I, I say new but old because there is recorded back in Exodus a similar story where the people complain about the food that they have to eat, and then in that moment they're given manna to eat. And, and now, though, apparently that isn't enough. Now they want meat. And this time, God gets angry, and then Moses absorbs their complaints yet again. But this time Moses seems to have had it. And then he complains to God. So the people complaining to Moses, Moses now complaining to God, and boy, does he ever complain. You know those situations where someone else's bad mood is passed on and so forth. Well, well, that's the situation here. The people are hangry, and then Moses gets worked up, but this time he's not going to take it lying down. Check out what he says when he's at his wit's end. I'm going to read to you something that came um, just before the verse that we started out reading from the book of Numbers, this time from verses 13 through 15. He says, and, and he is saying to God, he, he, is, he is complaining loudly to God, where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they come weeping to me saying, give us meat to eat. Am I to carry all this people alone? For they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. 
That's, that's dire. He'd rather die than face this, it seems. So this is what Moses is up against. And you know, <laughs> I've had it far easier than Moses so far in my ministry. <laughs> Maybe needless to say. I've never been asked to provide meat for thousands of people before in a wilderness. But I have been asked to describe heaven or to pay the bill of a stranger who shows up at our church doors, or to sit with grieving families. But there have been times when I felt like I was being called to too much. Because, you know, the world is too big, and the problems are too large for, for, for me, for you, any of us, really, to shoulder them. I don't know if you've tried. You shouldn't. You can't. Even in our small church, we share big problems and sometimes answers are scarce. And for these reasons, the lesson from today's story is vitally important because it is this, we are not meant to tackle these problems alone. In Moses's case, God instructed him to gather 70 elders from the people to help Moses feed the people. I'd like to read again from the text that comes before what we read earlier, this time from verse 17 of Numbers chapter 11. And these words convey God's response to Moses' complaint, that what he just said, you know, where he's, I'd rather die, do something. I need some help. And God is offering some help here. And I'm quoting again, verse 17. Quote, I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And this is what happened next. Seventy elders from the people were commissioned to help Moses with his task, but with a twist. One thing you should note is that the text is very clear to let us know that these 70 elders were more or less dep deputized temporarily as prophets. Verse 25 reads, quoting part of it, And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. And why should they? We'd never expect them to. That's Moses' job. This was just a one-off circumstantial event, unprecedented and unlikely to repeat. Only the very special, chosen, and trained may assume the mantle of prophet. And this is why Moses' right-hand helper was so offended when there were two members of the camp who were still prophesying after the fact. Apparently, this news was so appalling that someone had to sprint from the camp to the, the meeting tent where Moses was to tell him about this unauthorized use of God's Spirit. And his right-hand man, Joshua, agrees wholeheartedly. So, I'm going to quote to you what happened. Quote, and... A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. And my English translation has an exclamation point right after stop them because in the original language, urgency is conveyed. Notice, the text goes out of its way to let us know that Joshua 
was one of Moses' chosen men. I mentioned earlier how I'd been a pastor for 15 years, and I don't know if Joshua had 15 years experience, but he was Moses' right-hand man, and that has to amount to something. And so you might identify him right along with Moses as one who has credentials, or at least someone who is closer to credentialed than these other fellas, this Eldad and Medad. What kind of names are those? They are all prophesying willy-nilly as if they had the right. So he implores Moses to stop them. And I'm sure he expects that Moses feels much the same. And if so, Joshua is about to be surprised. Instead of sharing and joining with Joshua in his anger, his frustration, his, his, um, his discomfort at this, instead he replies, quote, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Are you jealous for my sake? I love that. Moses seems so over it. He may well have held God's spirit all to himself up until this point, at least from the perspective of the people, and maybe even Moses thought so, but he is far past ready to share the load at this point. He was called from that burning bush first alone. He was given a little help with his brother, but still felt alone. And then he had all of these dialogues with God, sometimes up on top of the mountain for days and days, alone. He has petitioned God on behalf of the people up until this point, time and time again, alone. He leaves the camp, talks to God, comes back with the answer. Now, after he's had a taste of what it is like to have a little help, some other people also endowed with God's spirit, he has no desire to hog the limelight, the power, the control, any of it. I love that line. I feel it myself, would, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, about that. The Sunday that's approaching us is, the, is Pentecost. It's the Sunday, that Christian holiday, when we remember and celebrate the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit on the church. That is all of us. And in that moment, the church was empowered to do the work that they had seen Jesus do. Just as Moses had commissioned 70 elders filled with God's spirit to help him feed his community, Jesus would call first 12 disciples and eventually thousands, thousands and thousands through the centuries up to this point would answer the call. And there were people like Joshua who were appalled that God's spirit would live in, course through or empower well, who? It didn't seem to mind who, the Spirit of God. Just so long as they were willing to aid in God's life-giving work. And sometimes people would object, saying that Jesus shouldn't consort with tax collectors and sinners, or that the lowly among them were not worthy of God's calling, or fit bearers of God's Spirit in them. But God's Spirit filled them nonetheless, and before you knew it, Former fishermen were baptizing and healing, speaking words of wisdom in public. Would that God would send the Spirit to all of us. Well, it is Pentecost, which is what, what we believe occurred. We believe that the Spirit has been given to us all. God's Spirit in you. And this means that you are as capable and called as any priest, pastor, or any form of clergy 
to embody the work of God in this world. It often, it often works this way. The people wanted a savior to lead them out of Egypt, perhaps some powerful warrior, but instead they got a stuttering murderer on the run named Moses. Later, the people want a king to rule them, and they expect a tall and handsome king, and they get a King Saul, but then they later get a scrappy, shorter, young twerp like King David. Not what they expect, but filled with God's spirit. Centuries later, the people expected a new warrior to liberate them from the Roman Empire, and instead they got Jesus, a man born in a poor backwater town, but he was filled with God's spirit. And soon, so were his disciples, and so are you. I guess what I'm saying is God is for us all, and God's Holy Spirit is for us all, not just religious professionals, not just the alleged competent or strong. Jesus said that he has called the lowly and the weak. God has and will continue to empower the lowly and the weak. And most days, that feels like me. And boy, don't I need it. You know, the world still needs many saviors in many places. Just as Moses was aided by the 70 elders filled with God's Spirit, we are aided by one another, all priests and prophets in our own right. And when I pass by someone who is down and out, I should remember that God is for them as well, that they have it. In fact, they might just be the priest or the prophet I need to meet. Should I ever find the spiritual eyes to really see them, to really see you? This has been the Northwood Podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe to the podcast by way of whatever app you use to listen or leave a comment. These points of engagement drive more traffic our way. Or check out our website, www.indyncc.org. And also check out the other podcasts produced by the All Indiana Podcast Network. Until next time, this has been the Northwood Podcast. I am Heath Jones. Peace.